0: If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be today, Acts chapter 10. If you haven't been with us uh, this summer, we're, we're just going through at the book of Acts chapter by chapter. And so we are in 10, which means next week we're going to be in 11, okay? And so um, uh, before we get to 10, though, I want you to think of someone that you don't like. Yeah, I'm serious. Think of someone you don't like. All right? Think of someone who may annoy you, and you can't nudge the person next to you, okay? Someone who you don't like to be around. You know, it's funny I say this, and we laugh because it's all true, isn't it? Every single one of us in this room have people we don't like, people who annoy us, and people we don't like to be around. Maybe it's a family member you avoid at every family gathering at all costs. Maybe it's a coworker you cannot stand. Maybe it's an acquaintance you absolutely loathe. I truly want you to think of them and keep them in your mind for the rest of the morning. All right? So we get to the book of Acts. And you've got to start by looking at what happened last week. Uh, Last week we looked at chapter 9, which is the conversion of Saul. We know him to be Paul if you've been around the church. But the conversion of Saul who was ravaging the church, trying to stop the way. And yet God shows up on the road to Damascus, cares for him so that he can use him. And we we read in Acts 9.15 that God is going to use him to bring the gospel, the good news, to be a witness of Jesus to the Gentiles, to kings, and to God's people. And that's exactly what Saul is going to do. He's going to take the gospel, especially to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles. But one thing we have to understand is that throughout the the Bible, the Jewish people and the Gentiles usually don't get along. They don't get along. There's this separation. They don't associate with each other. And in fact, in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see that it's actually unlawful for Jewish people to associate with Gentiles. And yet, like I said, that's exactly where Saul is going to go. He's going to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles so that they can receive the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that's what we see for the rest of the book of Acts, is the story of Paul taking the gospel, taking the message of Jesus, to the Gentiles and the people who desperately need him. But before that can happen in the storyline of the church, God has to rock the boat a bit, if you will, when it comes to Gentiles, Believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and so he's going to have to show the apostles, those who are leading the way, those who are who, who are literally leading this idea that Jesus has resurrected, and that. There is salvation from sins. He has to show the apostles that this is his will, that these Gentile people can actually join into the church, into the way, just by belief, without following the law. And so that's what Acts 10 is all about. God rocking the boat a bit and showing us that he shows no favoritism. God, listen to me, God shows no favoritism, and that anyone who believes in Jesus will receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. That's what we're going to see today. So let's jump into Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read to verse 8. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them, what had happened, and sent them off to Joppa. Now, this is a pretty crazy story. So you've got to understand that Luke is writing this account to Theophilus, and and it's not like he's just picking and choosing these random stories. It's very purposeful that this story falls right here in Acts chapter 10 because we've been seeing the movement of the church. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the Jewish believers, and then we see the church multiplying through many different ways. And then, of course, Acts chapter 9 is where Saul is basically just God shows up on the road. He comes to faith in Christ so that he can be a witness to these Gentiles. And then, right after Saul goes to Jerusalem and he tries to join the apostles, and they're like, we're afraid of you. Please don't come here. Barnabas steps up and says, he's cool. He's with me. And then uh, Saul basically begins his journey, his mission. But we read in the end of Acts chapter 9, Peter... Beginning to do some amazing things. So, so God, Luke wants us to understand, God wants us to understand that, that he's gonna use Luke in a miraculous way. And so Luke does amazing things at the end of chapter nine. You can go read them. And then we get here we get to Acts chapter 10, another part of Peter's journey that Luke wants us to understand. And so it involves. Cornelius, it involves Peter, and it involves two cities. We saw two cities here in these first eight verses because we got to look at the where. It's very important to look at the where of what's going on. And so we saw Caesarea and Joppa mentioned here in the first eight verses. You can see here on the map, and I know you can see me behind there, so don't get distracted, okay? You see that? Okay, awesome. Um, I'm going to stand over here so you can't. Maybe you can see that. Anyways, Um, so you see up top there, right on the coast, uh, you see Caesarea and you see Joppa. And so what we've learned so far is that Cornelius is in Caesarea and Simon Peter or Peter, the apostle, is in Joppa. So they're about 31 miles apart from each other. And so this is where it's happening at. But what we have to understand is that the Jewish people do not like the city of Caesarea. They don't like the city of Caesarea, but what's important for us to understand is that God is rocking the boat here, and so, so he's going to use this town that people don't like. Why do the Jewish people not like Caesarea? Well, it's very simple. Caesarea was the capital of a Roman occupation of Israel, and it was a military town, and it's important to note that they, the Jews hated Caesarea because Roman military officials oppressed Jewish people. Remember, not long before this, right after Acts chapter 7, Stephen is killed by, by Saul and people there. But the Roman people were like, that's cool. That's great. We're fine with that. And so these Roman people and everybody scatters, there's a lot of oppression going on. And Caesarea is this military town. It's a hub of Roman government and it represented everything that was opposed to the Jewish way. Which is why that the Jewish people called Caesarea, the daughter of Edom, a place of ungodliness that is a symbolic name for Rome. So it's just an ungodly city. In other words, they're not vacationing up in Caesarea, okay? They're not going there. It's not going to go well, and it won't be a lot of fun. And so Jewish people may have not liked Caesarea, but it's very important to note that God does. So the Jewish people may have not liked that, but God does. God loves Caesarea. He's actually on the move in that town. In Acts chapter 8, after Philip has this amazing experience with this Ethiopian eunuch coming to know Christ, guess where Philip ends up? He ends up in Caesarea. And so even before we get to Acts chapter 10, we see God laying the foundation of of the gospel coming to Caesarea. God is on the move in that town because God loves that town, even though the Jewish people don't. They don't like it. And so, that's the where. Now let's look at the who. We met two people in those first few verses. We met Cornelius and Simon Peter. Very simply, Simon Peter is the Peter who is the apostle. If you remember in the Gospels, his name is Simon, but then Jesus gives him the name Peter. And so he goes by Simon Peter a lot. And so I know it's a little confusing, but that's who this Simon Peter is. We're going to get to him in a bit. But Cornelius, we don't hear about Cornelius outside of Acts chapter 10. This is the only place we know him. But Luke gives us a great description of who he is. And so verse 1, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, or in other words, a Roman centurion, okay? That's what a lot of versions say Roman centurion, which, side note, every time we meet a centurion in the Bible, guess what? It's in a good light. A Roman centurion is always in a good light, and for some reason they always believe in Jesus, and that's not a coincidence. And so here we see that Cornelius is a Roman centurion who is a captain of the Italian regiment. An Italian regiment is about 100 to 600 people. We don't really know, but he's the captain. He's the leader of them, and these aren't just any soldiers. They're actually Italian volunteers who are very faithful to Rome and to Caesar and to those leaders. Luke tells us this information because the Jewish people did not like people like Cornelius. So not only did they not like Roman people or, or people who were against them, but, but then you start looking at these officers who would oppress the Jewish people just by default. When they found out Cornelius was this centurion, they're like, we don't like him. We, have no, we do not want to be around him. We're not, it's not okay. And so they do not like Cornelius just by default. But Cornelius has a reputation. He has a reputation in Caesarea. Look, he was a devout God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. Isn't that amazing? He was a devout, God-fearing man. So, it's, so he's kind of rejected, by the way, the Jewish people. And yet he's known as and has a reputation as being devout, God-fearing, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. In other words, Cornelius is different than every other army official that is around him. He's not normal. He's different then, but the Jewish people by default don't like him, and yet he's this different guy who people in Caesarea, the synagogues in Caesarea, they probably loved Cornelius because he was a God-fearing man. He would attend synagogue worship. He didn't go as far to become a a Gentile proselyte because there's a lot of steps to be welcomed into the Jewish faith, but he would go to synagogues, he would pray, he would worship God, he would give to the needy, he would do the good things, but he didn't go all the way. And so these Jewish people were like, we like him, but we can't associate with him or else we're going to be unclean in our lives. And so there's this massive divide between these people. And so what we're going to see here is that it doesn't matter what the Jewish people think. What matters is what God thinks. Okay? So listen to this. So all of, all, already we've seen that Jewish people don't like Caesarea, but God does. Okay? And then Jewish people don't like Cornelius, but God does. Okay? So, so don't lose me here on this because this is a, a long story. All right? So let's look at what happens next. Acts 10, 4 through 8. It says, basically, an angel shows up. We already read this. An angel shows up And and comes to Cornelius, he's a little afraid, and the angel says, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. His prayers and gifts have been received by God as an offering. This is huge because this shows us that God is not concerned about the offerings, but what he's concerned about is the heart behind the offerings. Do you get this? So throughout the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to do sacrifice, give offerings. I mean, you read Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you're reading a bunch of stuff they have to do. But that's not the point with God's people. The point is the heart behind the offerings, because God's people continue to do those offerings and do the sacrifices. And guess what? We get to places like Amos chapter 5 or in Hosea, where God's like, I hate all your show. I don't like it. I don't like just the show. What matters to me is the heart behind the offerings, behind the sacrifices. And here we see that God has approved of Cornelius' offerings because he knows the heart that is behind what he is doing. He's not just doing it for show like many of us do in this room. He's not just doing this to look good to other people. He's not just doing this because he feels guilty. He prays and he gives to the needy because he loves God and he loves people. And God knows his heart in that moment. So the angel tells him, send men to Joppa and summon Simon Peter. And because he's a God-fearing man, guess what he does? He does it. He gets people together, these guys, and he sends them to go get Simon Peter who's staying somewhere else. So that's happening with Cornelius, but at the same time, God is working in Peter's life as well. And so they don't know. These aren't connected yet, but they are. But they don't know that it's all going on. So we get to Peter's story here in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 12. Uh, So the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town. So remember, Cornelius had this experience. He got his guys together. He sent them down to Joppa to go get Simon Peter. But Peter has no clue this is going on at this point. Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry, like many of us get at noon, okay? But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again and said, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And then we read in Acts 10:17, right after this, Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And so Peter has this amazing vision. I love what God's doing here. He's communicating a truth to Peter that he would understand. And so we got to understand what's going on here. So the sheet came down. He's he's seeing this. And then all of a sudden, all of these unclean animals were lumped onto this sheet all in one place. And, And God says, listen, why don't you go ahead and kill and eat? And Peter hears this voice from God, and he says, no. I don't know if I would be able to say no. Maybe I would. maybe, But he says, no. By no means am I going to do that. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean in my life. But God reminds him. He says, listen, you don't get to dictate what's clean. God says, I get to dictate what, what's clean. God wants Peter to understand that if God makes it clean, that's all that matters. If God chooses them, that's all that matters. God tells him that there's no distinction between clean and unclean food because God is the one who makes it clean in the end. And in order for him to understand this, God repeats it two more times after, just like many of us need repetition in our life to learn something as well. So Peter had no clue why he was doing this vision, but God did. All right, so God loved Caesarea, God loved Cornelius, God loved Peter to give him this vision, but he had no clue why. He's just very perplexed. I'm super confused. So then, right at, the story continues. Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. So at the same time Peter's having this vision, the, the men from Caesarea show up at the gate, but they were kept outside the gate. This is very. This just shows us that they were very concerned about keeping the Gentiles out the gate. The Jewish people were in the gate because if, if they went inside, everybody inside the house would be unclean and they would have to go through the steps to then go worship at the synagogues again. And so they were outside the gates and they were not permitted to go where Peter was. But at the same time as they're outside the gates, look what happens in verse 19 and 20. It says, Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over this vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, "Three men have come looking to you for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them." I love that phrase, "Don't worry," okay? <laughs> like like, God knew Peter was worried, okay? Like, he was very worried because everything that was happening or was about to happen was going to literally shake the foundations of everything Peter has ever known in his life, ever believed in, ever done, people who he has talked to in his life. And yet, God's like, hey, hey, hey don't worry. I sent them, all right? It's going to be okay? And so God gives Peter permission to not worry, to go to them. He's now beginning to understand the vision a little bit. He's beginning to understand that this vision isn't just about food, but yet it's about people and how God can make anyone clean. Did you hear me? God can make anyone clean. I don't know who in here needs to hear that, but God can make anyone clean. It doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what God thinks, right? What matters is what God thinks. So Peter invites them in. We're not going to read the whole story, but he invites them in, which is, again, groundbreaking because he's inviting all these Gentiles into his home. So word's probably spreading throughout uh, Joppa like Peter's lost it. He's let these people in, shouldn't have, and yet they stay the night, which is crazy. And then the next day, they head off to Caesarea. And so we jump into the story in verse 24. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I absolutely love that because Cornelius did not just bring Peter to talk to him personally. Cornelius loved his family and his friends so much so that he invited them over and he said, you have to hear what this man Peter has to say. And so he loved his family and his friends so much so that he invited them all to come. And as Peter entered the home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. This is huge as well because you have a Roman centurion groveling at the feet of a Galilean fisherman, which is absolutely unheard of that A, they would be in the same house and B, the Roman official would be kneeling at Peter's feet. Everything's being turned upside down, which is what Jesus usually does in our lives, doesn't he? But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm human just like you. He says, get, get up. You don't have to do that uh, because I'm not God. And so uh, he says, stand up. I'm just a human just like you. And, and so we see here, sorry, I got to find my place here real quick. And so we're at verse 26, and we're going to keep going. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown to me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So he's starting to get it here, isn't he? So he sees this vision of food, but God's just using that as an example for Peter to understand something that's vastly more important, which is the idea that you cannot think of anyone as impure or unclean. And yet, how often do we do that? How often do we think we dictate who's impure and unclean? Think about that. And so Peter shows up, and he says, listen, I can't do this. I get it. I get what Jesus is doing. This is groundbreaking for the history of the church, because for the first time, we're seeing that when it comes to God's kingdom, there are no more categories. For the first time, we're seeing that there's no more inside or outside the gates. For the first time, we're seeing that there's no more clean or unclean. He is beginning to understand the very heart of God for the people who desperately need God. And so the story continues. We jump down to verse 34 and 35. It says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And it doesn't continue on, but then we see in verse 43. We jump down and he gives the gospel message. He says, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's getting it. He's starting to understand it. What God wants us to understand today as well is that God shows no favoritism, shows no partiality in this life. And yet we live and operate with favoritism often, don't we? We are just like Peter when it comes to this. God's acceptance is not based on race, not based on performance, not based on nationality, not based on following the rules, not on how much money you give to the church. God's acceptance is based on grace alone in Christ alone. This is groundbreaking for the history of the church. This changes everything the whole trajectory of what God is doing, what the Jewish people thought God was going to do, to what God knew what he was going to do, what his will was in this world. Anyone, no matter who you are, no matter who you were thinking about at the beginning of this message, anyone will be accepted by God if they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Anyone. And that's exactly the message that Peter shares. I already read it. He says, if you believe in Jesus and his name, you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. And then look what happens. Verse 44: even as Peter was saying these things. So there's, listen, there's no altar call, okay? They didn't have to wait to the end to come forward. There was no one ready to pray for them. There was no one ready to do anything. It was literally the easiest message ever for someone because all he was doing was saying the very basic things of the gospel, of the message of Jesus, and yet God did the rest. As he was saying these things, while it was happening, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. And when it says all, it's all Gentile people. It changed everything. It was all Gentile people were receiving the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish believers, who were seven of them most likely, because you needed seven to make a case. And so the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, or also, right? So also these Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit. I love that word too, because that should bring our minds back to the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, shouldn't it? If you don't know Acts chapter 2, you know what happens? Is the Jewish people, Peter, the apostles, 120 people were waiting for something, for the helper, for the promised one. And guess what? The Holy Spirit fell on them. That's the first Pentecost. And then we get here to Acts chapter 10, and guess what? We have a second Pentecost. But it's not Jewish people that the Holy Spirit's falling upon, it's Gentile people that the Holy Spirit is falling upon. And so so the The Gentiles are receiving the Spirit in the second Pentecost because they believed in the name of Jesus and had faith in Him, and that's it. It didn't matter what laws they followed. It didn't matter who they were nationally. It didn't matter anything except for their belief in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Isn't that pretty amazing? I am so thankful for that because I'm not Jewish heritage. If Peter wasn't faithful and didn't go to Caesarea and they just decided to keep it within just the Jewish national people, us Gentiles would have never received the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I, if you're not of Jewish heritage, we are products of Acts chapter 10. Isn't that amazing? Like you're connected to this chapter. And so what does this mean for us today? We obviously don't struggle with Jewish-Gentile tensions, but we do struggle with what Peter struggled with. Peter lived and operated with a certain filter on, a filter that dictated what he did, who he ate with, and who he associated with. And yet, this whole experience just destroyed that filter. By God's grace, Peter saw very clearly that God shows no favoritism. That we cannot call unclean what God has made clean. And we need to learn the same lesson today as the church, don't we? That God shows no favoritism. We need to see this very clearly today. And so this challenges us. God called Peter to filter out favoritism and to replace it with a filter of faith. God called Peter to see people the way that God sees them. God called Peter to have gut-wrenching compassion on those who don't know the truth of the gospel, who don't know the good news of Jesus, no matter who they are, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, anybody, it doesn't matter. And we all need to learn this lesson today because whether we accept it or not, we all operate with a filter of favoritism. I want you to think about it. How do you love and respond to those who think differently than you? How do you love and respond to those who look differently than you? How do you love and respond to those who are paid differently than you? How do you love and respond to those who believe differently than you? And don't even get me started with the political question, okay? You see, we live in a very public world today. And we see things all over the place. I see what many of you post online. And let me just say, there's a lot of favoritism going on. There's a lot of people in this room, whether you want to accept it or not, where you truly believe that you are the one who dictates what's unclean and what's impure. But as we learn in Acts chapter 10, that's simply not true, is it? God is the one who dictates what's clean. God is the one who dictates who is pure. God is the one who absolutely shows no favoritism. And we need to destroy this. We need God to destroy this filter of favoritism in our lives so that we can replace it with this filter of faith and live by faith like Peter did. Do you know that Peter was the leader of the church? He, he literally was kind of the, the one everybody looked to. But after Acts chapter 10, after he heads to Caesarea, and after he goes into Cornelius' house, and after he, he sees the Holy Spirit fall on these Gentiles, guess what? Peter's not really accepted anymore. The rest of the book of Acts, uh, James is the leader of the church. Peter kind of goes off to the wayside a little bit and has to hide in all these cities. Why? Because he's accepting in these Gentiles. Peter's giving up a lot to live by faith. Peter's giving up almost his entire life to do what God wants, to live by faith rather than favoritism. He's even not really accepted back in Jerusalem after this point. You see, sometimes that's what it takes to live by faith. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. And we're also going to be like Peter and fail at it at some points. And I don't know if you know, but in Galatians chapter 2, Paul and Peter almost get into a fist fight. And so they're eating with Gentiles. and, And Peter's having a great time and just so much fun. And then all of a sudden, James comes from Jerusalem and sees them eating with Gentiles. And you know what Peter does? He runs away, and Paul's like, what are you doing, Peter? And so he says, listen, God shows no partiality. God shows no favoritism. You know this, Peter. You were there in Cornelius' house, and yet Peter still struggled with it. And so we're going to be like Peter, we're going to struggle with it as well in our lives. We're going to fall back into that because that's what our sinful nature does. We kind of fall back into those certain things. But we need to strive to live by faith like Peter did, live by faith and live in faithfulness so that those we don't like, so that those who annoy us, so that those who we may loathe in life can hear the message of Jesus. Because that's what Peter did that day. He set aside his favoritism and he shared the gospel with people who desperately need it. It didn't matter who they were. You know what mattered? is who they needed. And it's the same as for you today and those people you don't like in your life. It doesn't matter who they are. What matters is who they need. So very lovingly, Get over yourselves. Get over your favoritism. I'm talking to myself today as well, okay? We need to get over our favoritism, and we need to live by faith and in faith so that the people who need Jesus most can hear about him, can see him through our lives. Let's pray.